Imagine a sunbeam radiating brilliance all out into the world, with light and warmth reaching every corner. In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing a sunbeam. So we talk about um, being rather than doing coaching. And so I hope that I have that sunbeam running through me like a stick of rock. Welcome to the Curious Coach Podcast. So buckle up as we travel around and explore the world of coaching. Here's your host and professional coach, Stephen Clements. This episode was recorded back in July, and I have to apologise for there being such a delay in me getting it edited for release. It seems to have been a crazy couple of months as I focused on finishing up some various activities and training. However, I hope you find this episode really was worth the wait. In it, I had the pleasure of talking with Claire Norman, who is an experienced coach, coach mentor, coach supervisor, and much, much more. Thank you. Yes, I am Claire Norman, and uh, I have three strands to my business. Uh, One is around coaching executives through transitions. They're helping them to figure out what to leave behind in order to have the capacity to take on new stuff. Uh, So, for example, that might be if they're moving from company to company or role to role or country to country, or it might be stepping up as a leader. uh, And what do they need to leave behind that has served them well in the past, but they just don't need it anymore. So that's one strand. Uh, My second strand is... Uh, enabling leaders to use a coach approach and the third strand is for coaches themselves Uh, uh, I am a supervisor and also a mentor coach for the International Coach Federation Mm. there's just so many of those strands I'd love to pull on (laughs) yeah I bet um but maybe before we 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 jump into them um you you're currently a pcc pcc credential coach that is correct yes i uh, am coming up for my renewal at the end of this year i will have been a pcc for nine years um and so i'm giving myself a kick this year and saying right next time around you are not renewing you are going to upgrade to mcc so i've given myself three and a half years to get the um thousand hours that I need to top myself up to um, becoming an MCC but I am starting on that journey right now I'm I'm starting to choose my mentor coach uh, almost as we speak yeah fantastic so uh, an exciting journey ahead for yourself exciting and scary <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how those two things always seem to go hand in hand exactly yeah. And I, I suppose I'm curious just in terms of how did you how did you get into coaching in the first place? Mm. So way back when uh, I was working for Accenture and I was heading up our leaders of all levels strategy. And we had a number of um, training courses as part of our portfolio and people were having wonderful aha moments <laughs> during the training but they were getting back to work and slipping back into old habits. So I was looking for some 
kind of transfer of learning uh, opportunities to help people to make that switch from the classroom into the workplace. And coaching was one of the things I stumbled across. And so that was, mm, I think, 18 years ago now that I started on my coaching journey and uh, have loved it ever since. Making that transition yourself from working for a large multinational um, and basically jumping into a venture for yourself. Um, do you mind sharing how that came about? Yeah, so um, yeah, that was me going through a big transition for sure um, and having to make a good ending and so that I could make a great new beginning. Uh, so I was trying to practice what I was uh, doing in coaching for myself. Uh, which was easier said than done, actually. Um, we're going through that turmoil yourself. Um, you realise how how tough it is. Um, so in my case, uh, as I suspect happens for a lot of people who end up um, having their own businesses, my role was made redundant. And I was looking around inside the organisation to find the perfect role for me. And I wanted a head of coaching role and it didn't exist. So um, I decided that I was going to go and that I would look for a head of coaching role somewhere else. Now, of course, that role doesn't get advertised, does it? <laughs> because it's a person internally who has crafted that role for themselves, which, you know, I don't blame them at all. That's what I would have done um, if I had been able to. So, uh so I started applying for a few roles in leadership development, but they were very samey. They they were were not going to give me new learning. Uh, they were not necessarily innovative companies uh, who would um, be keen to have somebody like me uh, working within their fold because I do tend to look at things differently, uh, and that scares a lot of companies. Um, and so after I'd been for a few interviews, I realized, mm, you know what, I don't actually want to work for anybody else. And I certainly don't want to do anything other than the perfect job for me. So that's when I decided it was time to create my own company. And uh, funnily enough, I had said when I interviewed with Accenture 17 years previously that um, in three years' time, after I had joined Accenture, I saw myself setting up my business. So it took me another 14 years to actually make that happen. And uh, the person who interviewed me always nudged me in the corridor and said, oh, you're still here then. You haven't said quite yet. Um, so it took the redundancy of my role to give me the courage uh, to set up on my own uh, and take that risk. And here I am today, uh, five years later, almost, and really glad that I've done it. And I love the way it sounds like you reframed that to creating your own perfect role mm -hmm. or finding your per finding the perfect job. You you created your created it yourself. Yes, exactly right. Um, I I didn't want to have a boss, so it was quite handy that I could be my own boss. <laughs> I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do every day. I wanted to 
focus on the things that I felt were important um, to the world. And so the way to do that was to do it as my own company. So, yeah. mm. And how long did it take for it to feel like it was the perfect job? So when I started out, I was on a very steep learning curve around business development and selling. But I kept reminding myself, this is all about relationships. You, you don't have to feel like you're selling. You're just building relationships. So with that in mind, it felt right pretty much as soon as I started. Now, I'm not saying it was easy at the beginning, but it felt right. And it felt good and it felt like a good fit for me. And it was a really great stretch for me to have something new to get my arms around. Building a business is, there's a lot to it. So I had a lot to learn. <laughs> and I'm still learning five years later. I suppose maybe just to, to go back to your three strands and, and pull a little bit maybe on each of them. But uh, I think I'd like to probably spend most of the time with you if it's okay on the sort of maybe the mentor coaching um but we'll come back to that great after a slight slight detour if that's okay yeah so uh, i was curious that um you mentioned about coaching approach leaders that take a coaching approach mm. and i think I, I was reading one of your your articles around boundaries and i suppose the thought that occurred to me was is it more challenging or challenging in a different way for for those inter, internal leaders taking a coaching approach mm. than a professional coach coming into an organization where there, there, there are clear boundaries. Yes, <laughs> it's as simple as that. Yes, it's difficult for a leader. Um, so, for example, if they are using a coach approach with somebody who reports directly to them, then that person may or may not open up to them. Uh, because it does depend how much trust they have in their leader uh, and also because the leader does their performance management and performance management is tied to reward and pay and so there are certain things that an employee is not necessarily going to want to say to their boss unless they have a really exquisite relationship and very high trust um so that is difficult for a leader to coach however they can use a coach approach so they can ask good questions that help the individual to think for themselves and this is a place where i i get on my uh soapbox because i do think that leaders well i don't just think i see i observe leaders uh, telling their people what to do all of the time. So they're undermining the thinking muscles of their people. And yet they wonder why their people keep coming to them and asking them what to do, or what would you do? Or I've got this problem, I'm not sure how to handle it. And the leader, partly through, you know, because they want to get through this quickly, uh, and partly because actually they want to um, show their expertise in some cases, they simply give the answer. 
they get frustrated with the employee for coming back and back and back, asking questions about what should I do? And yet I would argue that it's not the employee who needs to change, it's the leader who needs to change. They need to move away from giving an answer immediately into asking a question that helps the individual to think for themselves. And the, the more questions they ask, the more the employee will build that thinking muscle. The more they build that thinking muscle, the less they will come back with questions because they will be able to think for themselves. The leader will have created an independent, critical thinker. And surely that's what we need in our organisation. Not, so not just people who um, can take orders, but people who can think for themselves. So the role of the leader is to use a coach approach to ask questions that help people to think for themselves. Uh, so it's different, though, from coaching, because I agree with you that there, there are much clearer boundaries if you use an external coach or an internal coach who is not part of the person's day-to-day -day work. Mm -hmm. Yes, and it's an interesting distinction between a coaching approach and coaching. Do you think it's getting better or worse from either, both from, from leaders being able to ask questions or people being able to do their own critical thinking um, as the, I suppose, the next wave of, of generations enter the, the workforce? Mm. There's something about the, the younger generations use the older uh, generations as role models. So if the older generations are telling rather than asking, then I think it's likely that the younger generations will do the same as leaders and managers, uh, because that's all they know, that that's what they've received. Having said that, if they're in an educational establishment that is asking them questions where they need to think for themselves, then perhaps they are more likely to uh, join the dots and realize that it's crucial to be asking the people around you questions rather than giving them information. So, and there's a thought that's going through my head there about, okay, so I, I came out of the consulting world. I wasn't a, a client-facing consultant myself, but of course, consultants are meant to be the experts. And so it's difficult when a person is in an expert role, where in their role, they are expected to advise their clients. And it's the same in hospitals, for example, where, you know, doctors are expected to be the expert in diagnosing. And so there's a, and, you know, this proliferates across multiple different cultures where people have, have been trained to be the experts. And so it's really hard for them to move out of their expert model into asking questions that help other people to become experts. Um, I do a lot of uh, teaching in um, organisations where people say, oh, but I'm so used to telling people what to do. And it's the quickest thing to do. And it just, you know, enables me to move on and get on with something else. But actually what they don't, 
realise is that they're perpetuating that whole cycle. Mm. Perpetuating rather than breaking it. And Yes. I, I'd like to help them to break that cycle so that they can just stop for a moment, think, okay, what question am I going to ask the individual? And it could be as simple as, well, what do you think? Um, or what, what are the kinds of things you've been thinking about so far? And how might you build on those? And what are the pros and cons of each of those? So, you know, there's multiple different ways that we can ask questions. And uh, so there's something about helping people to ask good, succinct, pithy, powerful questions and not to sell their questions. So I see a lot of that in people who are training as coaches, but also leaders as coaches who ask a question multiple times stacked on top of each, each other to try to explain the question or clarify the question when actually if they'd have simply asked the first question, it was a good enough question and it would have landed and the person would then have had the opportunity to think for themselves rather than getting confused by the multiple questions landing on them. It, it, it all sounds so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh, it does, but it's because it's ingrained in us to be the expert. Uh, and I suppose actually that brings us probably nicely on to supervision and, and mentor coaching. Mm. So how did you decide to, to make the move into, into supervision and mentoring? A couple of things. One, I realised that I really liked coaching coaches. Uh, and so it seemed like a natural progression to then move into supervising coaches. And then the other reason was because I knew that by learning how to supervise, I would also be sharpening my own coaching edge and putting myself under scrutiny. So it was a good self-development um, tool for me to go through that journey to learn how to be a supervisor. and. Um, and then I, I'm trying to remember how I got into mentor coaching. It, I think it was just a natural progression from there. I was doing a bit of mentor coaching before I went on my supervision training. So, yeah, I, I have built that over a period of time so that I, I do actually feel like I'm an expert mentor coach now. Mm-hmm. I think on your on your your website it says you've been doing it for over six years now. Yeah. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose maybe we better start at the beginning as well in terms of for those that don't know what is mentor coaching. So mentor coaching is observed coaching with feedback against the ICF competencies. So a coach would um, either work with a mentor coach on a one-to-one -one basis or in a group. On a one-to-one -one basis, the way that I do it is that I ask the coach to bring recordings of their coaching. And we stop and start the recording and we reflect on how well are they um, 
putting the competencies into practice. So we start off with the piece at the beginning around contracting and we start stop it when they finish the contracting and we reflect on how thorough was the contract, how how clear were both parties about what the intention was. And so that's one-to-one. And then group mental coaching, and again, this is the way that I do it. There are other mental coaches available who perhaps have different um, ways of doing it. But um, in group mental coaching, I have seven coaches who take it in turn to coach each other with the rest of the group observing them. And uh, then we start with the coach giving themselves feedback, uh, one strength and one stretch. Then we ask the thinker, what's one thing that the coach did that moved their thinking forward? And what's one thing that the coach did that got in the way of their thinking? And then we ask the observers, what did they notice Help the thinker to get to new thinking? Uh, and what did they notice that um, prevented the thinker from getting to new thinking? So the, the ICF is the only coaching body, as far as I know, that requires mental coaching. Um, I, I used to think that mental coaching was second best to supervision, but I have definitely changed my mind um, in the last six years because what I notice is that mental coaching really shows up the blind spots, which supervision does not necessarily um, because we can shine a light on those blind spots by observing a person, whereas supervision is self-reported. And so we don't know what their blind spots are necessarily uh, in terms of their competency, at least. Uh, so mental coaching is all about the blind spots, the deaf spots and the dumb spots and bringing those out. So um, an individual will leave mental coaching, really understanding what they're great at and what they are blind to. So what do, what do they not know that they're doing, but they know now? <laughs> what do they not know that they are not saying? So perhaps they're thinking stuff internally, but they haven't articulated it out loud in a form of direct communication. Yeah. So what are the things that they don't know that they don't know about themselves? And in terms of the, so the way you do, you do mentor coaching, you, you do something that seems quite scary called a, a lock-in. Yes. <laughs> uh, can you tell me more about that? It's not as scary as that. No. Um, so it's a weekend where um, seven people come on the Friday night. We all have dinner together to get to know each other and to um, create this psychological safety with a contract for what we are about to do on the next two days. Then Saturday and Sunday mornings, we spend doing the group mental coaching. So as I uh, described to you, they take it in turns to coach each other and to receive feedback on their coaching. And then also they get the chance to observe other coaches and to see what they might like to uh, pinch from those coaches. And then the afternoons are spent on cracking through the paperwork for their ICF credential. And this is why 
it's called the lock-in because I lock them in until they're done. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally. Of course they are free to go. But for many people, that's the piece that they find the hardest about the credentialing process is knuckling down to do the admin piece around collating their hours, uh, you know, creating their log, uh, documenting all of the coach-specific training they've done. And, and also, they have a hard time figuring out actually what is required of them through the credentialing process. So I spend about an hour simplifying the ICF process for credentialing such that they can then get down to business and start to do what they need to do, whether they're going for the portfolio route or the, the other route. So they, in the weekend, they get both seven hours of the 10 hours of mental coaching that they need for their credential. And they get the chance to get that paperwork up to date uh, or at least break the back of it. So that's why it's called a lock-in. Now, people are a bit scared of the mental coaching piece where they have to demonstrate their coaching in front of a group of strangers. But we have created enough safety on the Friday evening that people soon get over that because they realize they're all in the same boat. They're all going to uh, be doing this in front of each other and that there is lots of learning to be had. So um, so it becomes a fantastic learning opportunity. People come thinking that the mental coaching is a bit of a tick box exercise, but they leave feeling like they have grown exponentially as coaches and that they have really sharpened their edge. So so I feel very proud of the lock-in and what it helps coaches to do with their coaching. And is it correct to say you have 100% success rate still? That is correct. So mm. for every person who submits their application after coming on the lock-in, 100% of those people have got their credential. Now, not everybody goes that far. So some people do give up along the wayside. And actually what I offer now as part of the process is three 20-minute check-ins to help them to, to just stay on that path of getting that paperwork done because that's the bit where they fall by the wayside. Because for some people, if they have never logged their coaching hours, for example, and are needing to submit a log for their PCC with 500 hours. That's a lot of hours log and also to do to meet the requirements of GDPR, going out to all of those people and making sure that it's okay to include their names in the log. So yeah, these accountability calls help to keep them on track and keep them moving and people seem to want to have somebody at their shoulder giving them that loving boot. <laughs> and I, I, I suppose from my own journey, I probably initially viewed mentor coaching a little bit like that in terms of it was a tick box exercise. But now that I'm, I've experienced it firsthand, it, it strikes me that what I've learned through the mentor coaching has been hugely invaluable mm. and so much more than just part of a, a process. I'm wondering in terms of do many people 
come back to it as a way of self-development rather than just part of an ICF process for either obtaining or renewing a credential? Yes, well, that's kind of the mission I'm on at the moment is to uh, change people's perception of mental coaching such that they see it as a form of continuous professional development that they do for life, not just for their credential. And I've had people come on the lock-in who, when I've, when I've asked them to share amongst themselves, what would you recommend to each other as good CPD? I've had them say, actually, this has been the best CPD. I would like to come along to another one of these. Um, even though I may not be going for a credential, I, I recognize that it's going to sharpen my edge again. Uh, because it's individualized, it's tailored to them, whereas a course with 12 or 15 or 20 people just cannot get that individualized uh, for each person on the course. So that's the lovely thing about mental coaching and supervision is it's tailored completely to the individual and where they're at now and helping them to shift. So yes they do want to come back yes i do have a an advanced lock-in for pcc's who don't have to have mentor coaching for their renewal but they can choose to use up to 10 hours of mentor coaching towards the 40 hours of cpd that they need to accumulate in three years so that's all goodness if people come back and want more i'm very happy to offer that that sounds like a, a fantastic mission that you're on. Yes. I, and I want to change the way that all coaching bodies view mental coaching. So at the moment, as I said, I think the ICF is the only body that, well, certainly the only body that requires it for credentialing. Uh, I'm not sure whether the others offer it or recommend it, but maybe by another name. But I'd like all of the coaching bodies to get their heads together and have aligned definitions of what is supervision, how much supervision should people have, what is mental coaching, how much mental coaching should people have in order to keep themselves current and at their edge and doing the best they can for their thinkers, the people that they work with. And it's such an important point in terms of those definitions, because there are subtle differences between all of the organizations around some of those definitions. So that does sound like a good place to start. Yes, I'm starting to write a book about this. And I'm seeing that as throwing a little pebble into the uh, lake to try to create some ripples in the coaching world in the hopes that I can start off more conversations around how do we how do we come together on this? Um, somebody said I need to throw a boulder into the, into the lake, but I said no, I'm starting small. I can only cope with so much, so <laughs> let's just start there. I, I, I guess it depends how how big the body of water is. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> And and the book is on on mentor coaching itself or, or some yeah, other aspect? It is. Um, the working title, and it may not end up being called this, but the working title is Mentor Coaching is for Life. Uh, and the subtitle, Individualised Continuous Professional Development. 
and I'm hoping to release it at the ICF conference next May. Uh -huh. So watch this space. So you, you, you've got a working title, you've got the goal and you've set yourself a, a, a target deadline. I have, yes. And I started working on it today. So Fantastic. I, I've broken the back of it, which is great. Yeah, I'll certainly look forward look look forward to to hearing more because um you you definitely have me converted in in terms of the the benefits of, of mentor coaching beyond just credentialing. So uh, I I definitely looking forward to that. Great. Um, I suppose just conscious of time and maybe just a little bit of a random question for you. So your your blog being a sunbeam. Mm. <laughs> Where does the where did you get the name being a sunbeam, being a sunbeam from? Well, um, I was on a training course with coaching development, and I was being coached by one of the other participants, and I wanted to figure out what was my essence, and who was I, and um, I realized that I am a sunbeam, nurturing, warm, uh, enabling growth. So it kind of, it really spoke to me about who I want to be. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not always <laughs> the most gracious sunbeam in the world, but that's what I aspire to be every day. And so that's where the title of the blog came from. Uh, I at one point I thought about naming my business that, but I wasn't sure how that would go down in the corporate world. So I decided to stick with calling my blog "Being a Sunbeam." That's such a a, a lovely image, and also so, it sounds like a lovely reminder of 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 your training. It is yes, and a lovely reminder to me every day to be that sunbeam. Mm. Um, and to embrace all that that is and all that that offers to the world, whether that's to my godchildren or whether it's to the, the people I coach or the people I mentor coach or supervise. I hope that that comes out in everything that I do and everything that I am. So we talk about um, being rather than doing coaching and so I hope that I have that sunbeam running through me like a stick of rock mm. lovely and just to, to wrap it up then in terms of what would be the one piece of advice that you wish somebody had told you starting out on your coaching journey mm. I wish they had told me about mental coaching sooner because what I now recognize is that I get more learning through mentor coaching and through supervision than I have done from all the multiple training courses that I've attended. You know, there's been research that shows that attending a training course might give you about a 20% change in behavior because it's not individualized. And so I yeah, I wish that somebody had said to me, take up mental coaching and supervision as soon as you can, uh, because that's where you're going to get the most learning. Mm, fantastic. Um, Claire, thank you very much for your, your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you.
And you too. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I'd love to hear your feedback, thoughts or suggestions. So please don't hesitate to get in touch by sending me an email to stephen at stephenclements.ie and that's Stephen with a PH. Full show notes and a transcript of this and all other episodes can be found on my website at stephenclements.ie forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time, don't forget, stay curious.